Welcome back. Glad you're here. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Acts chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse 36. And we're going to go through chapter 16, verse 10. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there is a paper Bible under a chair in front of you, hopefully, and and you're welcome to uh, to use that. And if and if you would like, you can take that home and and keep that and use that um, as your Bible. Uh, when we were in the Genesis series, it was really easy to say turn to the first book of the Bible. But um, but I remember as a new believer going to church, I didn't know at all where any books of the Bible were, and so it it always seemed like by the time I found the passage, the message was almost over. And so. Um, if you're looking for it, uh, Acts is toward the back of the Bible. Um, you know, if you can gauge that thickness versus that thickness. Uh, but it's it's about, um, it's in the New Testament and it's about 10 books um, away from Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And so hopefully that's given you enough time to find it. And if you don't, I'm confident it's going to be on the screens uh, behind me. And so let's read our passage together. Starting in chapter 15, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Chapter 16, verse 1, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way throughout the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together on the Lord's Day in honor of Jesus and his resurrection and his life and ministry, and to gather so that we may be encouraged to go about the mission of making disciples who make disciples and followers of you. We thank you that the church is plan A to reach the world. It's not a secondary initiative 
There aren't other initiatives that are more important. But you have entrusted the church with the gospel and you have entrusted the church with the mission to go and make disciples around the world. So we thank you for this chance we've had to read about Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and Luke and and those who are going about this mission to make disciples. That mission hasn't changed for us, Father, and so would you grant us Uh, wisdom and discernment in how we organize ourselves together so that we may be about the mission and so that we may be a healthy, strong church that people can come and hear and respond to the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Use this time for your glory today. Encourage us and strengthen us. Convict us where we need convicting and build up your body in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's uh, unusual to start in the middle of a book like this. And, and, and so, uh, if you remember from last year, the book of Acts uh, records the uh, life of the early church just days after Jesus has been resurrected and he ascends into heaven. And the disciples gather together and the apostles receive the Holy Spirit. And for the first 15 chapters, there is this um, rhythm of persecution and gospel proclamation. They're teaching and preaching about Jesus, and then they're being uh, persecuted. And and yet the church in the midst of it is exploding and growing. And, uh, and so we've covered the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas sent out from Antioch. And then there was a debate in chapter 15, and this is where we left off in April. And the debate, the debate was that uh, the gospel was being proclaimed and Jewish people, Israelites, were receiving the gospel and trusting in Jesus Christ. But, but at the same time, um, Gentiles, non-Jews, were also hearing the gospel and responding. And Peter was amazed that they were they had received the Holy Spirit just as God had poured out the Holy Spirit on the apostles in the upper room. He had also poured out this, His Spirit on the centurion, and and uh, and so Gentiles were now getting saved. And so there arose a group of people who said, in order for them to really be saved, they also have to be circumcised, and they have to follow the law of Moses, and they have to become Jewish in order to really be saved. And this was a, a major point of contention in the, the early church. And so in chapter 15, the Jerusalem council gathers, and they talk about it. And the good news is, is that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus alone. And we don't have to follow the Mosaic law. And so that's what was covered in, in Acts chapter 15. So now we get to the end of chapter 15, and, and uh, Paul and Barnabas are ready to go back out and to deliver the news from that Jerusalem council. And that's where we, we started reading a few minutes ago. If you've been a believer for very long, uh, you've probably been a part of some, some really healthy churches, and, uh, and it's possible that you've that you've been a part of of maybe some not so healthy churches. I've been a member of the the Big C Universal Church that is made up of all Christians everywhere of all time for 32 years since I trusted in Jesus. And in that time, I've been a member of six local churches. Um, Trinity in Norman, Oklahoma, where I was um, heard the gospel and was baptized and was discipled. 
in Bible school in Arkansas, I worked at a church called Oaklawn in Hot Springs, Arkansas. I moved back to Oklahoma City and joined Northwest, where I met Julie, and uh, and where I um, was was on staff at a church. And when we moved to Louisville, Kentucky, uh, we joined a church called Ninth and O. A weird name for a church, but it was originally located on Ninth and O Street in Louisville. And then they moved far out and just kept the name Ninth and O. But we were at Ninth and O for our time in Louisville. And we were members at Riverside Community Church in Horsham. And then, of course, here at Ridgeline. I don't know how that stacks up statistically. Has anybody been a member of more than six churches in their lifetime? Anybody? Maybe just me. A couple people. All right. Um, some of these churches are very healthy uh, and maybe others not so healthy. Uh, you may have been a part of churches that were uh, were difficult or challenging. And let me kind of shed some light into that. Ministry is really hard. There are tremendous challenges to those of us who gather in ministry. There are spiritual challenges because we know, as we read in Genesis, that we have an enemy. And this enemy is opposed to everything that God is and does. Our enemy hates God and everything he does. And so anytime God is at work in a community of people, the enemy is also at work, and the enemy is also in control of the the world and its systems and its peoples. So because of that, it is the church plus Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, the Word, uh, really against everything that is, um, is, is in our face. And so that poses challenges for churches. Uh, and the people of God, that is, those who are saved, have the message of the gospel. And the gospel message is absolutely glorious. It reveals the love of God for rebellious and wicked sinners like me and you. The gospel radiates the love of God, right? You know John 3.16, that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. So the message of the gospel radiates love and hope and forgiveness, grace and peace and restoration, a new beginning, a fresh start, eternal life. All those things adopted into the family of God, all of those benefits and blessings that we see are encapsulated in this message of the gospel. And I brought this lantern um, from my garage because it, uh, it, it, I'm going to use it as an illustration that, that each of us as believers uh, has this gospel message that we carry around with us. And it's described, you know, as the... Uh, uh, the message of reconciliation, and we're ambassadors of that message of reconciliation. So that means that that each of you, if you're in Christ, you you have this light. Jesus said in Matthew five, "You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house." And so the point Jesus makes is that in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
And so some of us shine brighter, and that's really blinding me a little bit, (laughs) but some of us shine brighter, and and some of us maybe uh, don't shine as bright, and and for many people, um, their light is so dim that it uh, it doesn't really radiate, and it doesn't produce light uh, of the gospel message that salvation is in Christ's name. But when a church comes together, you would think that the concentration of believers, I need to quit doing that, would be this amazingly bright light to a community, that it would be this um, amazing light. They should be light in the darkness, uh, a, a, a culture, a community around us. If we were to close our doors today, would anybody mourn our loss? Those are hard questions for churches and pastors uh, to wrestle with. Because it is our duty to, as a collective group of people, proclaim the gospel message Jesus' death on the cross as a substitute for you, taking your punishment, giving you forgiveness of sins and eternal life and adoption into his families. And it is that message that is our light and our life and that we should be radiating in churches uh, even more so. But for many unhealthy churches and for many unhealthy believers, that light fails to shine. And our spiritual unseen enemy, Satan and his demonic force, they want nothing more than for your light to be extinguished. They hate the light. And the world hates the light. The Bible says because its deeds are evil and light exposes the darkness in the world. So ministry is really challenging because we have this light and it's almost not like a lantern that's protected from the elements. It's more like a a candle or a torch that's exposed to all these things. And and the glory of God is what gives that light uh, and it's up to us to allow it to shine brightly. But churches and denominations and believers struggle all the time to stay on mission and to proclaim the gospel and to let their light shine bright with the message of the gospel. And I say all that by way of introduction because these three paragraphs that we read together in Acts, they give us an insight into healthy church ministry and healthy ministry for you as a Christ follower. The first paragraph that we read deals with divisions in the church. The second paragraph we read, Paul has put together a healthy ministry team consisting of Paul and Silas and Dr. Luke, and he picks up Timothy. And then that third paragraph that we read gives insight into how that ministry team operated by discerning the will of God and the plan of God and the direction of God's will in their ministry. So we have insight into these healthy Christians and this this healthy sort of organization and I think it can inform us today on what makes a healthy, reproducible, growing church, a healthy ministry that builds up the church. And we're coming in on the middle of the story, as I said before, so there are already some things in place with Paul. They had the right message, right? They had just clarified the gospel message, and so they had the right message that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus, and that was an uncompromising truth that they held and proclaimed. Some people hold... Um, those sort of doctrinal truths with an open hand and they're open to compromise. And, 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 and so Paul and his team and the believers within the church, they held those things with a very tight fist. The gospel doesn't change. We don't have the right to make Jesus cool or palatable for a lost and dying world. It's our goal to proclaim the message as we received it. 
not to change the message. So Paul and Barnabas had the right message. They had the gospel message. Paul and Barnabas had the right motives. We read that in chapter 15, verse 36. They, they wanted to go and visit the believers. Paul could have sent a letter. He did that in, in other places. He could have sent an envoy. He did that at other times. But Paul and Barnabas wanted to go see. They loved the converts and the churches and the Christians that they had met and developed on their first missionary journey. They had all these things in place, and so now we have some other clues as to how God can use and develop healthy believers and healthy churches. Let's go back and read that first paragraph, verse 36 through 41 of chapter 15. It says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. And if you'll remember, um, Barnabas and, and Mark are likely cousins. It was Mark's house in Jerusalem when Peter was locked up in prison and the angel you know, smacked him and woke him up and led him out and the gates of the prison opened and the gates of the city opened and, and they went to the house where um, all the believers were gathered to pray. That was Mark's house. Uh, he was connected to the disciples. You, you remember in the Gospel of Mark that uh, Mark, uh, when Jesus was arrested, it says a young man, the soldiers grabbed his clothing and he took off all of his clothes and ran away naked. That's, that's likely Mark. Barnabas was related to Mark, and he loved Mark, and they had included Mark on their first team when they went on their first missionary journey. But as they went through Crete, and they crossed over the sea into Pamphylia, something changed with Mark, and he deserted the team. Now, don't be too hard on Mark. He went back and wrote the Gospel of Mark, which is likely the first book about Jesus' life and death that was written uh, during that time. So Mark is an extremely valuable person. But for this missionary journey, verse 38 says that Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had gone, not gone with them to finish the work. And then it says there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. One great team became two great missionary teams that divided the work and strengthened the churches. But the division wasn't a good one in the way it came about, was it? This is coincidentally the last time Barnabas is mentioned in the entire book of Acts. And we have no idea if Paul and Barnabas ever reconciled. That's kind of unsatisfying for us to see these two great godly missionary leaders and church planters and apostle uh, in Paul and, and a great leader in Barnabas. Paul does speak about Barnabas in the book of Corinthians and in Colossians. He remembers him in a very favorable way. He even speaks about Mark. If you'll remember in, in Timothy, he says, bring Mark with you. He's very useful to me. But here is where they divided. 
And it says that Paul and Barnabas have a sharp disagreement. And the Greek word for a sharp disagreement is paroxysmos. And it's used twice in the Greek New Testament. Only twice. Here and then in Hebrews 10.24 where it says, uh, Consider meeting together. And when you meet together, consider how to provoke each other to do good works. It's an interesting choice of words. Paroxysmos. It gives us the word paroxysm. This is a new word for me. This is I, I'm picking up new vocabulary this week. But a, a paroxysm, R.C. Sproul says that uh, it, it, it is a violent explosion. Some people get so angry that we refer to them as having a paroxysm of rage. That's the word that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to use to describe this contention between Paul and Barnabas. Sproul continues, he says, this particular issue produced some sort of fury in Paul and Barnabas. A paroxysm of rage emerged. Barnabas was beside himself that his beloved associate Paul would not bend to his wishes to bring John Mark along. On the other hand, Paul was more concerned with the mission before them with all its dangers than with the feelings of Barnabas and his relative John Mark. Who do you side with? Was Paul right? Was Barnabas right? I don't know that that's the best question. Uh, it could be either way. Um, the latter part of that verse says that the brothers commended Paul and Silas to the grace of the Lord and they were sent off. Barnabas and Mark certainly had their ministry in Crete. But this division created a, 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 a personal, interpersonal relationship schism within the early church. And it's easy sometimes for us to think, in the early church, this didn't really have a lot of problems. But I think it just gets overshadowed by miracles and healings and the explosive growth of the church. But, but don't forget, there were persecutions and martyrs and arrests and beatings. There's a reason why Paul traveled with a doctor, right? Um, Town, city after city, he was facing all these uh, incredible difficulties. What do we do when churches divide? There are many reasons that churches divide. Circumstances like persecution or wars or conflicts or famines, we read about those. And then we read about these things, interpersonal relationship challenges. It's a reality that we have to deal with. It was just a few months ago when um, we announced that a local congregation here, their entire staff resigned and went and planted a new church. And, and for those of us who were connected to Blighty's church and those of us who had a long history and a long relationship with the pastors there and the people on staff, it, it left us in this uncomfortable position, do we support Trinity? Do we support Lydes? What do we do when church is divided? And that may hit closer to home for some of you than others. We're, it's a local church, so it, it, it matters. And I have a relationship with most of those guys. But it's painful. It's painful when little C churches, not the big C universal church, but when these local churches 
when they experience these conflicts and difficulties, when they lose sight of mission or when there's division or gossip or a failure to deal with sin or maybe they don't handle discipline within the church rightly or, or maybe there are leadership blunders and failures. All of these are just a few examples of why churches struggle and why some churches fail and why some churches are healthy and why some churches are unhealthy, some are fruitful, some are not fruitful, some even close. Matter of fact, you may even be here because you left a church that for some reason or another you, you didn't perceive it was healthy or maybe some experience or, or maybe some reason that I listed here. And the truth is that we have to acknowledge is that you may even leave this church and have really bad things to say. <laughs> I mean, Ridgeline has been a church for 10 years and certainly made errors and mistakes along the way. And, and there have been hundreds of people who have come and then left good people, godly people who love Jesus, who love the Lord, who love the Word. It's just one of the realities. During COVID, after our merger with Rock Hill, I think we, we lost something like 100 people. And we regained a, 100 or more people. It makes it difficult. And, and here's the thing I want to say. You'll never find the perfect church. And if you do... Make sure you leave because you'll probably mess it up, right? (laughs) Because churches can be messy. Because churches are full of people, right? And people are messy. And and, and I don't have all my stuff together. And you don't have all your stuff together. And and this is a, a gathering of imperfect people who by the gospel of Jesus are declared righteous But the sanctification process is still a part of working that out in our life. And it just takes time and effort and and sometimes two steps forward and three steps back. And and so it's very likely that you could be offended by somebody in this church and walk away and go tell all your friends and family, stay away from this place. It's not a good church. Churches are messy because they're full of people and People are messy and sinful. So being a part of a church requires great grace and mercy and forgiveness and care and compassion and communication. All of these issues come to play. But churches can divide and split up and break apart and and even die when those things take a toll on the congregation. But churches also um, separate for the purpose of mission. It's not just bad stuff that divides a church. Right? Last night, we drove over to Morrisville, and we went to Darren and Rachel Masters, his 30th birthday party, and just a small group of people gathering. And, um, and, and it reminded me, I, um, we, we stood him on stage, and, and they felt called by God to leave this congregation and to go out as though they were missionaries to serve and to strengthen that church's worship ministry. And, and it wasn't easy. It was an act of obedience on their part. They were sent out, and it was a good, positive loss for us, though it was a gain for the kingdom. And that happens all the time. People leave churches, and they go, I even say it all the time, if this is not the church for you, I don't want you to be here. I want you to be where God wants you to be, because there's a body of believers somewhere that you fit into. And it may not be this church. We're not in any way thinking that Ridgeline is the only church. We see the body of Christ as much bigger, thank God, than just this church. 
It requires uh, the local body of all redeemed Christ followers to be the light that we need to be in the community. And it, it's even better, Jesus prayed in John 17, when we do that in, in, in unity together, isn't it? When we work together in unity. But churches can divide for the purpose of mission. And though the end result was that way for Paul and Barnabas separating, the mission went forward, but it came at a price. A church should be known for its sending capacity, not its seating capacity, right? You remember that? It was a big mantra that people sort of began to scream in the wake of the collapse of the megachurch movement. There was a time in our American church history when every church was, its goal was to operate in sort of a corporate way to attract as many seeker-sensitive. These were all words that were used and And so big church was a sign that you had it together. But but big church doesn't always mean a healthy church. And in the collapse of many of these mega church structures, what became more important to many people was church health, not church size. And so I think that might be a true mantra. You won't find it in Scripture but that a church should be known for its sending capacity, not its seating capacity, because I think it speaks to the healthy discipleship and reproductive part of a healthy church that sends people. And we want to be a sending church. I've been a part of sending churches for most of my life as a believer. When I worked at a church called Northwest, I was sent out to plant uh, the North Campus, which became its own church called Gateway Community Church and. Um, Rock, um, where's where's Gateway? In Edmond, Oklahoma, just north there. Uh, we came here from Riverside. Uh, Riverside Community Church was planted in 2020. And in 2007, it um, planted Christ Church in Westchester. In 2010, it planted Trinity in Abington. In 2013, Ridgeline launched publicly this church. Uh, it planted Streamsong Community Church in Doylestown in 2016 or 2017, I think. Riverside is a church that once it grew to 250 or so people that recognized where God was moving people and it raised up a church planter and sent them out. And I was just one of five or six guys that were a part of that. There was a group of people that lived out here that were tired of driving to Horsham, Warrington area and said, we want to... We want to pray that God plants a church here. And so the Lord called me to plant, and and so here we are. It was a sending church because it recognized, statistically, there are about 120,000 people that reside within 15 minutes of Grandview Hospital. And when we did our demographic studies, sorry if this is boring. (laughs) This is kind of stuff information that I kind of like, but if if this is making you sleepy and you need to get up, that's fine. Uh, Maybe we can turn on the air and get some movement here, but... But this is a kind of an interesting topic for me because it speaks to church health. But, but what we acknowledged was that uh, 25% or so of the people within 15 minutes of Grandview, uh, according to census information, self-acknowledge that they're a part of a church. Which meant that about 80,000 people within 15 minutes of here don't go to church anywhere. And the reality is that it would take 80 1,000 member churches to penetrate the darkness in our area. Just within 15, our small sort of corner of, of Philadelphia. And so there's no room for us to, to, to want 
to be a big church, there's a better need for us to be a sending church that plants lots of churches that are healthy and growing and have the capacity to reach people. And this plays into some of what the Rocky Ridge proposal is at the end of the service today. But the point I think we can see here is that when Paul and Barnabas, even God used that conflict and his division for his own glory. Those who divided remained on mission and they multiplied the kingdom and they strengthened the churches. That was the bottom line there. Through gospel proclamation and disciple making, but, but it took teamwork. And so the second paragraph we read is that healthy and effective churches work together in these ministry teams. Look at chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Paul came to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, and we know her name. Uh, she, she was Lois and Eunice, right? And Timothy, Paul was writing to Timothy years and years later, and he said, um, the, the, the faith that you have was produced first in your, your mother Lois and your grandmother Eunice. It's likely that Paul had a hand in their salvation years before on his first missionary journey. And so Timothy was the fruit of the gospel proclamation. And it says here that he was a disciple. Not just a believer, but, but he was a disciple there. Meaning he was a committed follower of Jesus. It says that he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So the local church had already developed Timothy and he already had a good reputation. And he's likely 18 to 22 years old, a very young man. But Paul um, felt led to include Timothy, even though he was a young man, include him in his missionary team. And so it says in verse 3 that Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him. So you might say, wait a second. Didn't the Jerusalem council in 15 just say that they don't have to follow the Mosaic law? Yes, in order to be saved. There was not a requirement for salvation. But this was different in that Paul wanted Timothy to be on his missionary team that would be going and preaching the gospel in synagogues all around the Roman Empire. And in order for their effectiveness to be, uh, for them to be more effective, it was necessary for Timothy to concede in this way. He would have been accepted in the synagogues and in the temple as well. And so Paul had him circumcised. He didn't do this for other people, but he did this for uh, for Timothy. So they build this team together, and verse 5 says that the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And I want to make this point here, and that is that ministry teams make all the difference. There is no room in Christianity for Lone Ranger Christians. There is no glory for you if you're out there on your own, apart from a body of believers. You just won't find it in the New Testament that, that if Paul describes the body in Corinthians, uh, the church as a body and as the bride of Christ, all of those things describe a congregational connectedness that you cannot get out of. A lone Christian who doesn't work well with others doesn't produce Healthy ministry, healthy Christ followers, or healthy churches. We were meant to operate together in ministry teams. That's why uh, we emphasize togetherness at Ridgeline. Now listen, this is hard. 
And I just acknowledged in my own life that when I'm struggling, oftentimes I just want to withdraw. Now, I used to be somewhat extroverted, and, and now I, I, I kind of look forward to being alone sometimes. And it's easy to withdraw and to isolate yourself, but we have to fight. It's sometimes an obedience to, to be a part of the body of believers. Being here together is, is much better for your spiritual formation than going solo and being out there on your own. Uh, there's this picture of working together, uh, of ministering together, of being on mission together. If you've ever seen those sculling crews, if you ever watched uh, the down at the uh, the Schuylkill, is that right? The Schuylkill River, where they have all those rowing teams, and and they've got all these guys and girls rowing together in the same direction. Why doesn't that little boat? You know, if I was behind it, I think it would go every which way. But but these people all row together, working in the same direction. If you've met with me and and thought about leadership here at Ridgeline over the any time over the past three or four years, I've drawn this picture for you on a note card. I keep it with me. It's in one of my wallets, but it's it's just a picture that describes the importance of us working together, and it uses this sculling analogy. And over here on the left, uh, you have this um, this line going up that describes purpose. It describes our mission together. And to the degree that you understand what we're trying to accomplish together is to the degree that you would rank high on this purpose mission scale that we have here. And on the bottom part, we see um, this line uh, horizontally of participation and influence. And those who might score in this lower category that aren't really participating and that don't really know why we're here together would fit into this lower category of maybe what would be called a stowaway, right? They're, they're here, but they don't care why we're here, and they, they're not participating in any way in why we're here as well. Uh, those who understand what our purpose and mission is and their, uh, and their participation is really light might be called a passenger. They're just kind of here along for the ride. They're not giving or serving or contributing. They agree, amen, brother. You guys keep doing what you're doing, uh, but they're not really participating, might be described as a passenger. But when we get believers together who understand our mission and our purpose together, and they're fully participating they're deep involved in the life of the church. That would be a crew member, right? We're all pulling together. We understand what we're doing and we're working together. But those who might be in this lower quadrant are fully participating and they have influence, but they have no buy-in on why we're doing here. They might be described as a pirate. And a pirate is somebody who is um, here and they have influence, but they want that influence to use for their own thing, to build their own ministry, or to do their own purpose. They have no buy-in, or um, that they, they are not participating in the church's mission together. In order for us to be in leadership together, and in order for us to have this sort of team together, this ministry team that is described in Acts chapter 16, we have to be working together for the same purpose, with the same mission and participating together. 
We see this in Jesus' life. He built these ministry teams. In Matthew 4, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees these two brothers, Simon and Andrew, and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And Jesus put together these, uh, these ministry teams, the apostles, 12 of them. And then he had 70 disciples that were following him that were at a, another level. And then as many as 500 people <clears throat> at his ascension. Um, he had this team together and he released them in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20 to go and make disciples of all nations. Here at Ridgeline, we have multiple ministry teams. And, and just, um, you know, let me read off a couple of these. We're, we're led by uh, three elders, myself, um, Mark Kemp, and Keith Leatherman. Uh, there is a leadership team that meets also with those elders. Pat Cummings and David Morgan are sort of elders in training. Uh, Larry Moyer is like our elder emeritus. He has a voice in those meetings as well. Um, our staff is a, is a ministry team. We meet together every Wednesday and have this long staff meeting, and we, we administrate the business and ministries of the church in communication and other ways. We have a, a wonderful worship team that includes the guys up in the sound booth. And the, uh, I looked out my window this morning and saw Ryan's pickup truck pulling up at, at uh, 8 a.m., and he's as faithful and regular and disciplined to be here every time uh, there's a worship service happening. Uh, uh, We have a prayer team, a pastoral care team that uh, is involved with Caring Well is our ministry safe initiative to make sure that children uh, and and adults are trained in these child safe policies. Uh, Counseling, uh, there's a group that organizes meals if there's a need in someone's family. Hospitals, visitation, hospitality, uh, kitchen, weddings, funerals, security, right? Chris walked in a little while ago and was like, Gibson, you're wrong. The elevator's not in use, so he's our, I thank God for Chris. He is our, one of our chief safety guys that always has an eye out for how do we keep this room safe. You'll, you might hear him walking around and making sure doors are locked and, and making sure the kids' areas are safe. And we need those guys on that safety security team. A building team that makes sure that uh, all our facilities are updated and safe. A hospitality team that, that works in the kitchen to make sure that we have coffee. Thank God for that, right? Uh, an assimilation team, finance team, counters, a search team, a personnel team, small group teams that do discipleship and Sunday school and men's ministry and women's ministry and an occasional youth ministry and children's ministry and nursery, uh, small group leaders. All of those are necessary ministry teams. And as I look out in the room, a, a good majority of you are involved in one of those things. And in all those teams, God has put together the right people to perform the right function to build up the local body of believers that contributes to the health of a local church. I think a sign of unhealth would be if 5 or 10% of everybody who attends here is involved in some way, and 95% just come and leave. And this is going to be important as we make this Rocky Ridge proposal because we will need a ministry team of people who are called by God to leave this worship service and this congregation and go out to Quakertown to plant a new congregation. And the third thing that we see in this chapter of Acts 16 is that healthy and effective churches work to discern God's will for life and ministry. Look at verses 6 through 10. Paul and his team go through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, 
having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, and this is the first time the word we is used in the book of Acts by Luke the author, um, uh, demonstrating that Luke joins the team right here in Troas, or Mysia, or, or Troas here. Uh, it says, we immediately sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel. You can see here that Paul and Timothy and, and Silas and uh, Luke were sensitive to the leadership of the Lord. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. By the way, there's a Trinitarian description in the language here. Did you see that? They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak, and then the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them, and then God had called them into Macedonia. There's this Trinitarian idea of leadership for them, and Paul and his team were sensitive to discern the will of God. So they concluded, based on their input as a team, and based on the leadership of this three-in-one God, to go where God was leading them. How well do you do with discerning God's will for your life? How do you know what God wants you to do? How do you um, walk in such a way that you're not only sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life, but that you're also sensitive to the needs and the circumstances around you? Let me give you a couple of handles on how to know when God is leading you somewhere. Number one, a firm principle is it will never contradict his revealed word. God will never ask you to do something that contradicts what his word has already told us to do. Number two, God confirms his will as you pray and as you walk by faith. And this is an interesting principle because he often redirects those who are already in motion. It's much harder if you're stationary for God to get you moving into his will. But if you're praying and seeking God and you're, you're seeking to do the things that he's already called us to do, like go and make disciples and, and let your light shine and proclaim the gospel and be a part of these processes within a local church, God often confirms his will as you walk and pray by faith. And then the third handle is that God will use other people to affirm his will. You need people. Proverbs eleven fourteen says that where there is no guidance, a people fails. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Another place that just describes the isolation effect when believers separate themselves and want to go do their own thing, it, it often doesn't end well. But have you ever been a part of a godly group of people, maybe in your small group or a Sunday school class or a church environment like this, and you say, I think God's calling me to do this. Will you pray for me? And then you get 10 or 12 people around you and they're praying for you. And then one of them says, you know, I don't think that this is quite right. What I can see you doing, what I see God doing in you through your spiritual gifting and through the way in which he's worked in your life and the previous experiences, I see God taking you in this direction. Oftentimes, God will reveal and confirm his will through other believers around you if you'll make yourself available to them. Proverbs also tells us that he who isolates himself is stupid. That's exactly what it says. There is no room in Christianity and in church, healthy church ministry 
for Lone Ranger believers who are not a part of a group. I see these three principles, and I see it in Paul and Timothy and Silas and and, uh, even Barnabas and Mark, these ministry teams that were doing this amazing work. And it inspires me to want to lead us to be a healthy church, a church that does ministry well together, that starts with letting our light shine, proclaiming the gospel clearly and proclaiming it often, and not losing sight of our main purpose. And it's my prayer that, uh, that if that inspires you or if that encourages you or if that affirms in you something that God is already doing, uh, that you go all in. That you go all in in your participation and in your understanding of what it is that God wants us to accomplish in this area. And if that's not, if that's not what God wants you to do, it's my prayer that I would be able to help you find the right church that God is calling you to be a part of. Let me pray and then I'll read our proposal together. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning, and we thank you for your word and the way it challenges us, and it shapes us, and it changes us, and it leads us, and we thank you for the way in which your Holy Spirit uh, affirms uh, the truths of your word and helps us to put them into practice, and let us be a people who put these things into practice. Let us be people who build the house that you've called us to build on a firm foundation of application, and not just hearing and forgetting what your word tells us to do. Help us to be those who put your word into practice. And let this be a church that proclaims the gospel clearly and teaches your word clearly, and that you might use to bring about a number of people who put their faith in you and who are discipled and taught how to walk with Jesus and how to do ministry, and that, Lord willing, we're able to send out into mission. And who knows that there are not those here who will one day be missionaries around the world, that there are not those who will one day be church planters and worship leaders and disciple makers. I pray that you would raise up a group of people here who are sent on mission and that you would use them for your own glory to build the kingdom of God. And by all means, give us grace toward one another. Help us to walk with one another in an encouraging way that builds one another up so that we can all reach the full measure and stature of Jesus Christ. It may be so in Jesus' name. Amen.